this morning I joined the series that we've been doing all summer long, Summer Vacation. It's really this idea that we've been going to stories in Scripture where people of God have been going on a journey. And that they've either been led by God to go on a journey, or they've been invited by God, or they meet God in the midst of their journey. And then how we too can relate to God as we go about our journey as well. And this morning, Hannah read the scripture passage out of Acts chapter 8. It's this great story about Philip, who is invited by God to take a risk and to step out in faith and go on a journey. So you're not done yet, huh? You're still coming back for more? Okay, I'm just giving you a hard time. So Philip is going on a journey, and uh, he's invited by the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the angel of the Lord, to go to this place on this road, and he doesn't even really know what God's going to do, and then God shows up in that place. And so it's a great story that I think we can learn from. And I'll tell you a story about myself. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've actually been in the hospital, the ICU unit of the hospital, two different times, not something that you, we ascribe to want to do. Uh, both times I had blood clots in my legs and that went to my lungs, and that's called a pulmonary embolism. Not a good thing. You don't ever have to have that happen. It's really hard for your lungs to work when there are blood clots that are in your lungs. And a part of that journey when you're in the ICU unit with that condition is that they have you in bed and they want you to lay completely still, no movement, because there's this danger of other clots moving to places you don't want them to go to. And so part of the frustration of that condition is that you're literally have to be still for like days on end and uh, not a fun thing. And part of that journey was uh, I like to read when I have downtime. So I asked if I could just at least lift my head and read a book. And they're like, nope, we don't want your head to go up and your heart to get up and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm laying there completely flat on my back. And the only thing I can think to do for my boredom is to watch TV, which isn't always exciting for me in the first place. Uh, and so this morning I'm going to be helping us think about uh, sharing the story, the story of God. And as my uncle used to say, I told you that story so I could tell you this story. Uh, part of that journey was then being in the hospital bed for three or four days and then uh, going home and being in my own bed at home with the instructions to not move, be still. And so the only thing, again, that I could think that I could do to relieve boredom was watch TV. Now, the hospital had quite a number of TV channels. I don't know how many they had. But at home, we had the advantage of, at the time, having high-speed Internet, and we had cable. And so I think we had like 140 TV channels. And, you know, the whole amazing thing of that journey that week of being still in bed and watching TV for endless hours is that I could watch 140 uh, TV channels for 24 hours a day, and there was absolutely nothing to watch in that time period. Have you noticed that? I mean, sometimes you turn on the TV and you're like, this is like worthless. There's not anything good on. There were stories on TV everywhere, stories everywhere, movies, cartoons, situational comedies, reality shows, uh, soap operas. My grandma and my sister used to watch those when, when my sister was younger and what my grandmother used to call her stories. That was the soap operas. All these stories on TV, but hardly any story worth uh, that feeds our soul. And as I was watching all this endless TV and kind of frustrated by it, I was thinking about the thesis of a book that I'd read, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. That's a little bit of what our culture is challenged by today. And it became real to me in in that week that I was in bed, stuck in bed with a TV flickering, an endless stream of worthless stories. I couldn't help think about what our culture suffers from, what I would call story starvation. Or what I would say is meaningful story starvation. 
When you take the story of starvation of our culture and you place it along some recent research studies that have been done, one from what's called Pulpit and Pew Project, it's an interesting challenge that comes in front of the church. The Pulpit and Pew study revealed many issues in the church. Many familiar problems were listed. Among all the problems that churches face, do you know what one had the highest score by far? Do you think it might be church conflict? Or maybe it's volunteers. I mean, the church never has enough volunteers to do ministry. Or, or maybe it's financial resources. Nope, it wasn't any of those three. The, the biggest challenge that uh, leaders of the church and clergy identified in this section of the survey said the difficulty of reaching people with the gospel today was either a great problem or somewhat a problem. Overall, 80% of the churches responded this way, making it far and above the biggest difficulty in ministry that was identified in that survey. Now, if you place these two ideas next to each other, this idea that our culture suffers from story starvation, and then one of the greatest challenges for the church today is the difficulty in reaching people with the story of God, the gospel, I think the scripture that we have read today from Acts really speaks to us and speaks to that situation, has much to teach us in that situation. So many of you maybe know this story, you've heard it before, but some of you maybe haven't heard this story. Uh, Philip is told by an angel of the Lord to go to a road in the wilderness, and then there he meets a never-named eunuch from um, Ethiopia. We're told he's the minister of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He's got a pretty significant political job or government job. And the eunuch, we're told, is reading from Isaiah when Philip joins him, and he asks if he understands what he's reading. And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And then they read scripture together. And then in verse 35, we read, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. I'm going to focus on that specific verse out of that whole passage. Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, and he told the story of Jesus. Let's just linger on that. And I want to think, focus on these three different clauses that are in this sentence. And I think this uh, helps us to kind of focus on both these two dynamics of this story, uh, starvation that's in our culture, but then also this identity. The church says, you know, we really struggle with being able to see how can we share the story of God in our culture in a relevant way. And we just want to take each of these clauses in this sentence, and I'm going to kind of go in reverse order. I'm going to change things up. So the first one I want to look at is that Philip told him about the good news of Jesus. He seems to have done this spontaneously. So, like, he didn't have a prepared presentation about how he was going to present the story of Jesus to him. He didn't uh, have notes to speak from. Uh, he didn't have the four spiritual laws in his back pocket or the bridge illustration to pull out. No, he didn't have any of this stuff. He just jumped right in despite being in the middle of this dusty road in the wilderness with somebody he didn't even know. And another way to say it is he just simply told the story of Jesus to this guy. Again, story starvation and the difficulty of reaching people today with the gospel. And Philip tells him the story of Jesus. Jesus is at the center of our story. We don't want to point to ourselves or to our churches, or our denominations, or even to great Christian books, or even to good Christian ministries. Rather, we should always be pointing people to Jesus, to who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus stands on his own. We don't have to make anything of him. And 
In fact, I think he stands amongst us even before we recognize who he is and he's there. Think about this. On first hearing about uh, Jesus, Helen Keller, this amazing woman in history, this woman that had great handicaps that she was able to overcome, um, she was cut off from hearing or seeing, and, and she was much like the Ethiopian. Unless somebody was going to explain to her in a way she could understand who Jesus was, she wouldn't have no way to know. And so Helen Keller, on first hearing of Jesus, responded, I knew there had to be someone like that. That was her response. I knew there had to be somebody like him. And Jesus stands on his own at the crossroads of life. We don't have to make anything of him. He is there amongst all of us all the time. He is there at the crossroads of each of our lives. And I think it's odd to a little bit to think about that we are stewards, the church and the disciples of Christ, we're stewards of the greatest story the world has ever known, and we possess just what a story-starved culture needs. And yet our confession is that our greatest difficulty is in relating the gospel to our culture. There's a disconnect there. In his book, Leading Minds, Howard Gardner offers this thesis about effective communication. He asserts that the most important skill that any communicator can possess is the ability to tell stories, to craft stories. And he would say that story, in his mind, would have three elements for the communicator. And I just want us to take a look at these briefly because I think they have some value in relationship to our ability and our willingness to tell the story of God to others. So his first element is that each person has their own story. We have our own story, not just our personal history, but the values, the motivations, the knowledge, the experiences that have shaped the person's way of life, their identity. For the Christian, a simple way to remember how to tell your story is, what was your life like before you knew Christ or before you had faith in Christ? And what was your, what's your life been like since you've had faith in him or since you are committed your life to him? What's, what difference has Christ made in your life? You have a story to tell in relationship to that, to others. Now, some people in the church might say, you know what, I've always grown up in the church. I don't remember a time where I haven't uh, followed God, that, that I've always kind of been there, never walked away from God. And so you might struggle, well, I wouldn't really know what to say about my life before Christ. But I would say, use your imagination. Think about what your life might have been like if you didn't have Christ in it. And then think about, again, the difference that Christ has made to you. We have a story to tell about that. The second element that he speaks of in his book is, is the cultural stories around us, the stories of others that are in our life or in our communal group, the stories of one's own people. And these are kind of well-worn stories that people know by heart, but, but also they're the formless, often fragmentary and forgotten pieces of stories that nonetheless help make up the identity of a people. So one way I would help us understand this is that your own family unit, your family of origin, has stories, right? Every family has stories. And it's kind of fun to hear the history from your parents and hear the unique stories in your family unit that kind of make up your family identity. Just so you know a little bit more about me, uh, one unique story about our family is that my grandmother's sister was a midget and she was a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. It's a unique part of our history. So... I remember taking a picture of her when I'm in the third grade. I'm, I'm about four and a half feet tall, and she's about a foot and a half shorter than I am. Had this amazing picture. So we all have a story, and a part of it makes up our identity. Well, the great thing is, is when Christ invites us uh, to follow him, we join God's family, right? 
And we get to hear stories about how God is at work in each other's lives. And I have the opportunity to think about how God is involved in your life. You know, and I get to tell the stories of God at work in your lives too. Uh, we're having a baptism that's going to be happening a week from tonight. And that's always an awesome opportunity to hear the story about how God is at work in people's lives. Um, and, and I had the opportunity, we had three classes last Wednesday night, one, a baptism class for the children, one for the youth, and one for the adult. I led the adult baptism class, and I had the privilege to be able to hear seven or eight just amazing stories about how God has been at work in people's lives. And, and so we get to hear those stories, and the other thing I would say is, don't miss the baptism. You want to be there. You want to be able to hear and see how God has been at work in other people's lives, and you'll be encouraged if you're there. So again, we get to see and hear how God's at work in other people's lives. And a good communicator, says Gardner, um, is someone who has great skill and imagination in taking these two elements, basically our own personal story, but then also the communal story, the story of others around us, and blending them into a new story. And so we use our own personal story, and yet we pick up these cultural themes and and these identities. They also come from our friends that are part of our culture and then we, we kind of bring these together. And not only that, the communicator takes on the longings and the deeply felt needs of the people who are listening to the story. So that's another aspect, is that we listen and we're paying attention to the one who's hearing the story. And he puts them into the words on behalf of the people. And the new story, he says, gives shape to the lives of people, pointing toward a way of life that gives identity and coherence and meaning where there had previously been fuzziness and incoherence. Now, I'm not sure if Gardner's a Christian or not. He never really states in his book if he is. He's just writing about communication. But I think he's really written something that we would say as Christians, we have the greatest story that's ever been told. We have the truth of the identity of how God has been at work in our world and in our lives, and we have something that will bring greater purpose or meaning, far greater than anything else that our world would have to offer to other people. So lastly, Gardner says that good communicators live their own lives in fidelity to the larger story. So there's integrity in their own story, the story they weave together for the people, but then also the shape of their own lives reflecting the story. So there's coherence, again, between their lives and the story that they present to the people that are hearing. In a word, they practice what they preach. That's certainly what Christ would call us to. So to give you an example of this, studies uh, of the church have shown that the greatest single influence on whether a child or a teenager stays engaged in the church and with their faith after they graduate from high school is if their parents have engaged them with a faith that is full of integrity. What type of faith have their parents invested in their lives? That is the greatest single determiner. If parents tell their children stories of faith, if they uh, talk about how God has been at work in their lives and then how God is at work in their lives today and relate it to their kids. It helps bring meaning to the faith for children. And then if parents will take children to the Scriptures and tell the stories of God and helps help children understand that this is where we can go to learn and see what God has been doing uh, historically in our world, but also today what God's up to. And so if parents do that, uh, then, then if they live out that faith with integrity, so whatever message they're speaking, it also is a message that's being shown by their lives, uh, not a faith of uh, do as I say, not as I do, but a faith engaged on a daily basis 
those children are more likely to stay engaged with their faith and in the church. Gardner goes on, he shows uh, how an interesting group of leaders did this in their lives with their own stories. He uses a dozen or so, so illustrations, people like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Billy Graham. But at, at, at this point for us in this day, in this story, it's just the importance of story. What's the story that we have to tell? Do we have a story to tell about God? So here, here's what the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, I think, have to say to us today, a generation of disciples who we learn struggle to relate the gospel to our culture. Simply, Philip told the story of Jesus. It's not complicated. He, again, didn't make it too difficult. He simply just told him the story. Telling the story of Jesus is all about the categories uh, that Gardner spoke about in terms of being a good communer, com- communicator. It's the story of Jesus. He's our story, right? Uh, the story of our truest selves and the story about how we've been engrafted into the story of God through Christ. Our identity is in Christ as a being a part of God's family. And we belong, we're told. We live, in fact, we breathe and we move and we have our being because we're all characters who've been written into the plot of God's great story. Think about it, the scriptures, the psalms, the great hymns of our faith, the words of the worship songs that are being written today, um, stories of our faith throughout the ages, story of our family's journey of faith, the testimonies of our friends in life groups and on Sunday mornings and in, in Sunday school classes and in baptism ceremonies. The stories of missionaries who are called and sent in our midst. All these things are ways in which our story connects to God and that we become a part of the bigger story that God is working. The story of a great triune God who made us and redeems us and calls us by His Holy Spirit to be the church. There may not be a story worth watching or hearing on 140 TV channels, but church, we have the most amazing story to be able to share to our culture. We have a story to tell the nations. We have a story to tell our neighbor, a co-worker, our friend at school. We have a story that's about peace and a story of light and a story of hope like no other story in our culture today. So again, back to that verse, Philip opens his mouth and beginning with this scripture, and he tells the story of Jesus. I just want to focus for a moment on the middle clause, uh, beginning with this scripture. I take this to mean that Philip started to tell the story at the point where the Ethiopian was ready to hear it. Philip knew scriptures well enough to know where he could point the Ethiopian, what he needed to show him and share with him about God through scripture and what he was ready to hear. That is to say that Philip accommodated the story to the need of his hearer. John Calvin, great uh, church uh, theologian in history, he spoke about God's word this way. He said, through Jesus, God's own wisdom was accommodated to humans in a way we could understand. Just as you can't teach a second grader about calculus, they're not ready for it, right? Some of us, when you're seniors in high schools, aren't ready for calculus. You got me, Steve? Okay. Man, I couldn't understand it. But certainly second graders, they're not ready for calculus, right? So in much the same way, you can't expect the puny and childlike human mind to comprehend the majesty and the grandeur of an amazing God. But if God sends his own son 
to take on our flesh and live and dwell among us, then, then we can begin to see, then we can begin to comprehend bits and pieces of a majestic God. So too in relating the story, our story, the story of Jesus, the story of mighty acts of, that God has created and done throughout the history, uh, God's own story, the hearer of the story must be taken into account. We need to think about the person that we're telling the story to and go, okay, how can I engage this person? How can I help them relate what's happening? So beginning with this scripture, what scriptures can I bring them to that will help speak to them or help them to understand? Beginning with the needs of those who will hear us. So this is where the story and the hearer and the storyteller can all meet. And again, Philip, we're told, opened his mouth. Beginning with this scripture, he told the story of Jesus. I want to start with, the, I want to share a little bit about the first clause. Philip opened his mouth. Now that's how the RSV translation uh, relates this verse. Some translations say something like, and Philip began to speak. The Greek, I would say, agrees with the RSV translation and says literally, he opened his mouth. For some reason, this idiom is kind of more curious in the Greek than it is in the English. We typically don't say that one opens one's mouth in order to convey that somebody starts talking. That's not how we describe it. We open our mouths for eating. Sometimes when we go to the doctor, they ask us to open our mouths so they can look down our tonsils. uh, We go to the dentist, they say open wide, right? We let them work on our teeth. But to tell a story, it's not how we would describe it. In the modern era, the last 150 to 200 years, we think we learn primarily through our eyes and through our mind. But if we went back to generations previous to that, times, ancient times or as well as the Middle Ages, one learned principally through the lips and through the ears. They were chiefly oral cultures. Many of the people uh, didn't know how to read. And so telling oral stories was a primary means of education. It was a way for people to learn and to remember key spiritual truths. That's why Jesus and other teachers would use parables in order to help people understand these things. And in that kind of culture, there's a special spiritual connection between story and speech, between the ear and the heart. And in the pre-modern world, these were connected to receive spiritual nutrition in much the same way that the food and, and our mouths and our stomachs uh, do, di- do digestion and take in bodily nutrition. So think about early church leaders like St. Augustine and others. Use phrases in order to be able to communicate this connection. Augustine spoke of the ear as being the heart's palate, as being literally the heart's taste buds. You ever heard of your ear being the heart's taste buds? That's what it's like. So therefore, to recite scripture or to tell a story to another uh, was to offer words that was like food for the ears of a hearer to chew on. So reciting scripture and, and telling stories of the faith are like spiritual food. Not food that enters the body through mouth and and to be digested by the stomach, but food that enters through the ear and is to be digested by the heart or the soul. So opening your mouth to speak, the ear and opening your ear and your heart are all bound together in the way the gospel is made known to us. Telling the story of Jesus is about opening our hearts and then our mouths. Speaking words so that they might enter and then be chewed on by the ears of our hearers so that God's great story becomes spiritual food of the heart. To truly tell a story then is to tell it by heart. 
So again, story of starvation in our culture. And the church identifying with difficulty, with reaching people with the gospel, the story of God today. Did it work for Philip? The Ethiopian had already been chewing on the words of Isaiah. He had been reading that when Philip came. But after Philip opened his mouth and told the story, the Ethiopian, we were told, looked at what was probably no more than a large puddle on the side of the road, and, and he said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Nothing. It was a great response, a practical act to say, okay, I'm going to start practicing what I've learned, the story of Jesus. Philip overcame the difficulty of relating the gospel to someone in the culture of his day by telling the story of Jesus. So now we begin to see the whole story. How the narrative of Philip and the Ethiopian is a story about the importance of God's story. It's a story that prods us kind of amid a story-starved culture to tell the story. Tell God's story. Not a story for a story's sake but a story that tells us who and whose we are. God has written us into the narrative of creation and redemption. That's to say that God's story is about life. It's about our lives. God's way of life and our way of life bound together in one great story. So where do we go with the encouragement to tell the story of God? To be ones that are willing to take steps and share the treasure of God with others. Do we feel like we understand how God has been at work in our lives in a way that we can tell others? Do we know the stories of how he's been at work in others' lives? Do do we know the stories of God's story from Scripture well enough that we can relate to and then share that with other people? Are we ready and are we willing, like Philip, at God's leading to open our mouths and to begin with Scripture and to tell the story of Jesus? You know, when we talk about this, sharing the story of Jesus with others, we sometimes as Christians we get a little anxious. We get a little nervous. Again, it's not that complicated. And I think if we were just willing to do it more often, it wouldn't really be that big a deal. But sometimes we make a bigger deal of it than it really needs to be, or we get more anxious about it than we really should. But if you're in that place where you're feeling some anxiety about that, you're not necessarily feeling comfortable with that aspect, I would suggest that maybe you ought to consider attending our Alpha course. We're going to be doing an Alpha course this fall. It's going to be start at the end of September. It's going to be on Tuesday nights, uh, starting September the 29th. And the Alpha is a great course, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey. You might be somebody who still has a lot of questions. You're not sure if you believe Christ is who the church says he is, or you're not sure if you believe about Christi- what, you, what to believe about Christianity. It's a great course for you to explore those things. If you're someone who's maybe young in your faith and it's a great course for you to, to learn, learn more about how God has been at work in your life. It's also a great course, though, if you want to learn God's story and your story in a way that you're going to be equipped to be able to share that story with other people in a way that you're passionate. Alpha is a place for all of those things. A typical evening, as some of you may not know, a typical evening at Alpha begins with a meal. It's a really great meal. You're going to get great food no matter what else happens at the course. And then a part of the course as well is, is that usually there's some humor involved. And that, that's a new thing for the church, right? The church isn't always uh, fun and, 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 and humorous. Uh, and I, what I would say, there's no promises, but what I would say is we're going to try to have some good humor every once in a while instead of just average humor. Uh, then also what happens later is that we watch a video together, and it's a video with someone who does some teaching. He, he, basically the person does some great stories about how God has been at work in his life. 
but more importantly, how God has been at work in our world and continues to be at work in our world today. And then after the video, we break up into some discussion groups, and you have the freedom to discuss that video and what your opinions or your thoughts are. And it's you can share anything you want to. You don't have to have a certain opinion or a certain thought. Anything's okay. Alpha is just a great experience. And so if you'd like more information about it, I encourage you to go to the ministry table in the foyer There's uh, just to pass the office. There's information. There'll be somebody there who can share with you about what Alpha's all about. And if you want to explore coming to the first session, they'd be glad to help you know what that looks like. So as I close my message this morning, I just want to invite you, church, to listen, to be reminded. We are stewards of the greatest story ever told. And we possess just what a story-starved culture needs. Are we willing to take a small step or small risk like Philip and share God's treasure with another? Let me pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the way that you have demonstrated yourself, that you, you have revealed yourself to us in your story that you're accomplishing. The story that involves salvation, a story that involves uh, reconciliation, and a story that invites us to join you in what you're doing. God, we thank you that many of us have heard that and responded. And God, that you call us. In fact, you invite us to be the ones who share that story with other people. What a privilege. What an honor, God, that you would entrust your story to us. God, I pray that you would increase our faith are measured a risk for you in a way that we're willing to share your story with others. God, can continue to grow us and for, to help us continue to be committed to the great commission that you give to your church. Father, we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.